Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, 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 welcome to episode six, I believe, of the Playboys. Hello there. How is it going? It's going well. It's it's going very dramatic, melodramatic, and um, oh. plenty of murders, PJ. That's how it's going. What do you mean, Dean? Murders? Well, today we're reviewing... be calling the police. Today we're reviewing Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Oh, all right. You mean in the play. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right, guys. We've been dwelling into the Danish world of Elsinore into the world of Hamlet, the one and only. So, dude, what did you think of the play? Well, I should, I should preface it by saying I loved it. Um, I have read this one awesome. before, and I've read them yeah. all before. I read this one about a year ago, two years ago, <laughs> and I didn't think much of it the first time. All right. Like, I thought it was fine, you know, but generic or, or nothing uh, special. It didn't jump okay. out at me. Uh, but okay. this time... I was dreading to read it just because of its length. It's the longest Shakespeare play. It is the longest uh, But I really, play. really enjoyed it. it, it and now I know why you said it's one of the best. You know, it, it really yeah. is up there. It is, considered, it is considered one of the best in general. It's the most popular play along with uh, Romeo and Juliet. Now that surprised and, uh, me. I would have thought Macbeth would be the second after Romeo and Juliet. Uh, well, the three of them are very popular. So mm. I'm not sure which one is. There's a lot of debate which is the most popular. But I can resonate why the three are so popular and for different reasons. And what I love about Shakespeare, guys, is that what I love about Shakespeare is that, sure, you can kind of see that Shakespeare wrote these plays, even though there's a lot of debate about whether Shakespeare wrote these plays. What I mean is some themes uh, pop up from time to time, but really every single play has quite different focuses. And if Roman Juliet is about uh, two loved ones not coming together because of family strife and history. Um, this one's about, this one's basically about madness, uh, mental health, incertitude, and the tragedy of not doing, basically. It's, um, it's quite different, I suppose, to Roman Juliet. And, and again, it's different to Macbeth because he, he does Macbeth, whereas Hamlet doesn't. But I suppose we have to talk about the story. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense what I'm saying, right, Dean? Yeah, I think we should mention we should mention the story. Um, so, effectively, we have our main character, good uh, good Prince Hamlet, oh. and he's the. Now, this confused me when I when I read in my copy of the book. I think there's a comma missing in the dramatis personae, and I spent about twenty minutes just trying to figure out who <laughs> Hamlet was before I read the play. It says Claudius, King of Denmark, and then below that, Hamlet, son to the former, comma, and nephew to the present king. It should have said son to the former, comma, and nephew to the present, comma, king. And that lack of comma caused me 20 minutes of like, who the hell is Hamlet? Like, how is he the son and the nephew of Claudius? What, what's going on? I just Shame. did not understand what was going on. Because by Shame f- on those editors. Yeah, Shame by on former, those editors. I, I, I just was so lost. 
But then, then I read about three lines of the play and figured it out very quickly. So I wasted my time with the, that. The morale of that story is that, guys, punctuation is very important. Get your, commas, get your commas right. So we've got Hamlet. We've got his friend Horatio. And let's see who else is, is like important. There's not that many key characters in this play. So, well, you, so you basically got Hamlet who's lamenting the death of his father. He's also called Hamlet. And uh, he's already dead by the time the play starts. And basically, it starts off with guards seeing a ghost who resembles the former and deceased king. Mm-hmm. And then it moves on. Basically, Horatio comes in and he um, basically uh, will, tell, will tell Hamlet about this. But before that, it begins with Claudius, the king of Denmark and the uncle of Hamlet, who married Hamlet's mom. Uh, just bragging on. He's a bit bragger. He's very proud of himself. And Hamlet's first, when Hamlet's first uh, phrase actually in the play is, "A little more than kin and less than kind." So he's saying basically that Claudius is a bit too much of a family member now. He's become an uncle and a father, and he's married mm-hmm. the mum. So basically, a little more than kin and less than kind. So already, that's the first phrase Hamlet says. So we already know that he um, has resentment, right? So it just begins but straight off with resentment. I understand the resentment. And obviously when he figures out later, like about his father, I, I understand. But if we mm. start at the beginning, I mean, Claudius, he's not mean to Hamlet. He's, he oh. seems to be like a decent stepfather, realistically. Like yeah. he's, he's caring about when, when Hamlet's feeling all moody and depressed and full of teenage angst, you know, going through his emo phase. And um, they, <laughs> they, they care about him. Like the, the stepdad and the mum, like they... They care, you know. It's not as if yeah. it's not a, a wicked kind of character, you know. I, th- yeah. I think that he's a decent chap towards Hamlet for most of the play. I have to say that already makes him suspicious because a lot of Shakespeare's kings um, that are, let's just say, that don't have that, that didn't commit any murder before this would treat their kin a bit more roughly than this. So I mean the fact that King Claudius is treating Hamlet so decently. I mean, look. I mean, look at Romeo and Juliet. The fathers in those mm-hmm. uh, plays. I mean, although we have a parallel, I suppose, to Juliet's father being saying like she can marry anyone she wants, and then later turning into yeah. a bit of a mean character. I suppose there's there's a parallel. That's there. similar here, I think. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there are a few parallels between Roman Juliet and Hamlet. We'll get into that in a second. But yes, basically, uh, Hamlet is a teenager, guys. I mean, he's a teenager in the psychoanalytical sense. Yeah. So basically, what we have here is that he's resenting someone. He's resenting just his life in general, even though, yes, his stepdad is actually quite kind to him at the beginning. But yeah, he's already portrayed like this character who is moody, like an emo, basically. Mm. And... Um, but he finds out soon yeah, that the ghost is none other than his own father, the deceased and, father of Hamlet. And they say to Hamlet, Hamlet, we need to quit your emo phase, cut, cut your hair and stop wearing fallout boy t-shirts, right? Exactly. They tell him that. So that's, that's the whole play, guys. That's it. It's just about him getting a haircut, basically. That's it. And um, <laughs> But when he finds out that the, father, um, the father's ghost talks to Hamlet, and he says that he has been murdered by his own brother, the current king, king, king Claudius. Well, then Hamlet is obviously um, even more upset than he already was. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And that's when the whole play begins, really. So it's at the end of Act One. By the way, guys, most Shakespeare's plays only really begin at the end of end of Act One. That's when the action really takes in, when the character decides something pivotal. Like in Roman Juliet, Romeo falls in love and and, and he decides to pursue Juliet only at the end of Act One. So that's always an important part in Shakespeare's yeah, place. Yeah, we should we have um, we have certainly an act of kind of an intro basically, and then the rest of the play takes takes place in four acts. And you were right, and I, I noticed what you said to me last time, but uh, the main character kind of disappears a bit during Act Four. That's like yeah. a, a standard uh, cliche that I hadn't actually picked up on before. But yeah, you were just right. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a bit more. It's a bit like Romeo really disappears in Act Four. Um, but I think in Hamlet, it's a bit less. He's still at the beginning of Act 4, but then yeah, yeah. the shift focus to, to Ophelia, as does in Roman and Juliet, focuses to Juliet. So it often focuses to the female uh, main character, mm-hmm. let's call it the second protagonist. Um, um, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of other key characters, we've got the queen, Hamlet's mother, Gertrude, um, and of course, Ophelia. Now, Ophelia is daughter to the Lord Chamberlain, Polonius, and that kind of rounds out the key characters at Claudius's court, I think. And um, there's some guards and a few other people, but those are the kind of main guys at the at the, Dan- the Danish court. Um, exactly. And we also have uh, Fortinbras, who's the prince of Norway, but mm-hmm. he doesn't appear to the end of the play. But he's kind of pivotal, so I'm just going to mention. He is, he, yeah, he doesn't appear a lot, but he is important uh, in certain aspects. I should mention as well, we have Laertes, Polonius's son, but he's also gone for a large portion of the play. Exactly, but they're very important, and they're absent, but they're very present. And this is set in Denmark. So there's this whole kind of Denmark and Norway became a union at one point. But before that, there was a lot of war between them as well as Sweden. So this is basically starting off already with there is a background of Danish-Norwegian conflict as well as England's um, English re- uh, resentment. So there's quite a, kind of a lot of politics going on here. But basically, yeah, so this content, the story continues with Hamlet um, seeking revenge. But unexpectedly, you might expect, all right, so he's angry and he kills the king. And that's, and that's the end of the story. It's just a short play, Shakespeare's shortest play ever. But of course not, uh, people. It's a Shakespeare. It's a lot more complex. Um, he basically is in turmoil. First of all, he doesn't know exactly if the ghost uh, has a good intention. And second of all, he doesn't know how to seek the best revenge. In other words, he always comes up with excuses Actually, he could just have because he could just have been a man and just killed King Claudius. I, I say a man because it's always kind of indicated that he's unmanly. There are many references in the play. Mm-hmm, yeah, he also t- tells himself like, "I feel like a-, a woman." Now that might sound a bit sexist, but the whole thing is basically he's there is a very kind of a psychoanalytical um, theme going on here that he may not be a mature man yet, but an immature yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is indecision, basically. It's the indecision that causes what 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 uh, happens later, what causes more tragedy. It's mm-hmm. a tragedy of indecision. So, let me give essentially a one-sentence precis of the plot. It's effectively, oh. they see the ghost of Hamlet's father. Uh, they you know inform Hamlet about it. He talks with the ghost and finds out that the, the, the father was murdered, effectively. And that's, that's why his brother has become king and married his wife. So yes. we think we think the whole play that Hamlet, as you say, that he's, he's going to go for revenge. He's going to take a sword. He's going to go kill them, but he doesn't. And that's that's kind of the play, you know. 
that's basically it. That's basically the plot goes. Um, but what happens is that there is Ophelia, who is uh, in love with Hamlet, and Hamlet's in love with her. And we don't really get to see the development of their love. It's basically that they've already fallen in love. It's already happened, that. yeah. Yes. And, but she doesn't understand why Hamlet refuses her, basically. And, but basically, Hamlet, the, the theme of madness pops in. And it's not quite clear if Hamlet is becoming mad. So he becomes very eccentric in his language. And the people around him think he's losing it. But when he talks uh, by himself alone on stage, it seems to be that he is pretending to be mad in order to con King Claudius, in order mm-hmm. to in order to make him believe that he is uh, not harmful. So basically, that's his idea that he's actually acting. And, and and did you notice then that the whole play has references to actors and plays and theater? Like, as do most of Shakespeare's plays. Yes, no, it, it does. I mean, we even have the scene, you know, a, a pivotal scene really in the play where where to try to catch out uh, the, the dad, uh, this, the, the uncle, I should say, Claudius, the king, into, uh, you know, admitting guilt. They, they essentially mm. stage a play with similar themes, hoping mm. that he will, you know, look guilty or scared or run off or, or whatever. So there's a whole scene about a play. Yeah, so it's got a play. It's, it's a play within a play. And... That's already groundbreaking enough. And yes, of course. And Hamlet's got that great, it's got a great uh, quote in it. Got many great quotes. Many quotes. Yeah, I've got some written down here. Yeah, do you want to go ahead? Sure. I mean, there's some big ones and there's some small ones. Let me start Mm. with the minor quotes. Yeah. Um, Some that you'll still hear day to day, depending on who Mm. you're speaking with. But Mm. um, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. That's Mm. one that we get in this play. And um, that's yeah. a very, a very well-known uh, quote. The uh, one, in my opinion, the best one, we get the very lyrical quote, um, doubt thy mm. the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. Oh my God, that's the one I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote down as well, actually. No, uh, if you listen to I the song Ophiliac by Emily Autumn, she uses that as lyrics and it's, a, it's an amazing song. So I recommend everyone All check right. that out. Didn't know that, and it continues. That quote ends with um, "Thine evermore, most dear lady." Whilst this machine is to him Hamlet, and that's also there's also a play called Hamlet Machine, uh, a German play uh, from the Soviet Union, actually. All right. Uh, that's also that also takes Hamlet, and basically it's a it's a complete monologue in a very sort of existential way. Mm. Uh, but basically, yeah, this machine is to him. There are a lot of references to suicide, to like not being able to live fully. I mean, the fact that he says machine to him is basically just saying, Ham, you know, I, Hamlet, can hardly live anymore. I'm just an auto, yeah, I'm just an, I'm just an automated being mm-hmm. without a soul. I'm just moving, but I don't really have a purpose. And that's what the whole, and the whole play seems like that sometimes. What's it the does, purpose? Yeah. What's, what's Hamlet's purpose? And it's the ultimate, guys, it's the ultimate existentialist play. I mean, it must be the first existentialist piece of literature ever. I mean, the, you know, Camus and Sartre would have loved this because it, the, the big quote is to be or not to be. That's the big one, to be or that not to the, be. That is the big question. And basically, it just reflects the whole side if it's the whole, the whole time, sorry, reflects the whole time if it's better to live or is it better to live and kill? Is it better to 
commit suicide rather than commit a sin. And by the way, there's a very important aspect that a lot of people forget, which is religion. So I don't know if you know this thing, but um, it's mentioned right at the beginning that um, that Hamlet went to a certain university, right? Yeah. He went to the, he went to the university uh, Wittenberg. And this is the university where Martin Luther um, attended. So basically Martin Luther, uh-huh. people, the person who uh, created Protestantism, basically. So, and he started the Protestant Reformation. The idea is that, and there's an important aspect to this, it's basically Catholicism versus Protestantism. And the main difference, one key aspect about Protestants is that they really believe that their faith is preordained. All right, that basically that they cannot change their faith. Whereas if you're a Catholic, actually, you can always change your faith as long as you repent it. That's a key difference. Mm-hmm. So Martin Luther did not believe that that he could that his sins could be basically forgiven, that God decided what, um, what road his life would take. So basically, uh, it's not indicated uh, the other religions, but basically the idea is that everyone can choose their lives but Hamlet doesn't believe that because Hamlet is a very scholarly uh, persona, by the way. He's very, no one really understands him. He's a bit of a loquacious sort of academic, pretentious, I suppose. Kind of a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yes, yeah. I mean, the, amount of, the amount of monologues that Hamlet, but I think the play well, adds a thousand words just by Hamlet's monologues. I, I, I think so, right? I think so. But basically, basically if he's a proper um, Protestant, actually, if, if he believes in the Protestant's, philosophy that faith cannot be changed then it's quite understandable that he that he's debating uh, to be or not to be that is the question because mm. yes um he is unsure if he can take the life into his own hands because that goes against his philosophy he just came back from this new it was a very new thing at the time the martin luther um uh, philosophy and basically goes against his his mind. So it's basically all it's, it's all about like minds interfering in the matters of heart and of bravery and of uh, perhaps mm. also intuition. Sometimes, if you don't mind, PJ, I would like to yeah. read an entire piece of uh, monologue from him because it has. I, I would love that. It's the one starting with "to be or not to be," but it has three quotes in one monologue. Yes. So I just thought yes. I would I just read it. You know, please go so, ahead. Though. Enter Hamlet. To be, you know, soliloquizing with himself, just walking around in, in monologue, basically. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. To die, to sleep, no more. And by a sleep, to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep. To sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil may give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin. Now he goes on and on and on, but um, it, you've got to be or not to be. You've got this mortal coil and you've got uh, to sleep perchance to dream. So three big quotes in, in one um, masterpiece monologue. 
Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's full of great quotes. One of my favorite ones is madness in great ones must not unwatched go. And it kind of reminded yes. me for some reason, it's completely out of context, but it just reminded me of like Trump or someone like that. He's not a great one. I'm not saying that, but he's a powerful person. And it's just interesting to see that in bad or good people, uh, when they get mad, you really have to watch it. Yeah. And in the, yeah, on the theme of madness, that actually gives us another little mini, it's, it's a paraphrased quote because he, Polonius says, though this be madness, yet there is method in it. And that's where we get yeah. the method in the madness kind of uh, it's, it's, idiom. It's great, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, guys, so it's basically, it's the ultimate existential play. It's the ultimate teenage angst play. I mean, think about it, because before that, it was just, oh, yeah, you killed my father, so thus I killed thee, and then I killed myself. And it's all very kind of, what's the word? It's not very realistic, is it? Come on. And especially, Hamlet is so relevant, especially in this postmodern kind of existentialist age where everyone's questioning everything. It might have been really avant-garde really ahead of its time and it's really relevant now because now everyone just questions no one is going to just kill someone um because they killed their father and well especially those people who really think a lot so this is really like a thinkers philosophers uh play but it's also kind of condemning that i feel like shakespeare is also kind of like I, i get the feeling that shakespeare often condemns his male kind of protagonists like Romeo and Hamlet if we stick with those two are very imperfect kind of figures aren't they and they're they're both quite whiny they're both very indecisive Mm -hmm. uh, in in a lot of aspects I mean yeah a lot of power loads there 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 uh, certainly are there's one piece um, just before we completely close the topic of quotes, because there are one or two little other ones, there okay. is um, one that I, I really like. Um, you must be cruel only to be kind. That's, that's mm-hmm. still stayed in our, our modern idiom. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lady doth protest too much, methinks. And they're, when they're looking at the play and they, you know, they're trying to put on the parallel for the king and queen to say, here's basically, you know, show your guilt in your face. This is the same thing you did. And they asked mm-hmm. Hamlet then asks the Queen, well, what did you think of the play? And she just says, the lady doth protest too much, methinks, which is mm-hmm. yeah, like that's my, my absolute favorite. And this is this is not a famous quote, nor is it integral to the plot, but PJ, my mm-hmm. absolute favorite line in the whole play. It's mm-hmm. a part where it's the part where the ghost meets uh, Hamlet while the queen is there and she can't see the ghost yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i love the part. um and the ghost says to hamlet you know and she's like what are you doing you're talking to this invisible like what's going on and hmm. the ghost says to hamlet talk to her and he turns and he says how is it with you lady like in this big dramatic <laughs> scene with the ghost with everything it's like well what's the crack you're like how's it going and it's just really, yeah. like what's what's new with you and it's like well i don't know what's new with me is that you're mad and you're talking to an invisible a ghost it, 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 it's great yeah and it's all about like and it might again be a reference to martin luther in the sense of oh you're you're crazy but but maybe he has a vision so it's, and, and in this case like we're on we kind of believe Hamlet, so kind of we we think Hamlet is right the whole time, but no one else can understand his vision. Do you know what I mean? So it's basically, basically it's like the play itself. It's he's too avant garde, he's too ahead of his time. He just came back from Wittenberg and he's got all these great ideas, and he's in Elsinore where everyone's getting drunk. He's too ahead of his time. They think they even think he's mad. They would think he's mad, even though 
he wouldn't be pretending he's mad or or or, or that his, or if his father died, that's he's just true. mad anyway. Although to be fair, I mean, he does say a lot of strange things, and he speaks in riddles at times, and they don't know yeah. what what's going on. And then there's a part where they they ask, you know, where where's Polonius? And uh, mm. at, at this point, Hamlet has has effectively killed Polonius, which we'll mention in a second how that happens. Mm. But mm. Hamlet says, "Well, he's at supper," and they say, "At supper? Where? Mm. Not where he eats, but where he is eaten." Because he is food for the worms. <laughs> <laughs> that basic, but hold on a second. But he is crazy. As, he's like this. He's crazy like this when he's with the person. So because he's playing, he's playing a role. So Hamlet is actually acting within the play. So again, it's the play within the play. He's acting within the play to be a mad man. And it's more confusing because sometimes we don't know if he's acting or not. And he, uh, Hamlet gives constructive criticism to the actors in the play. So there's a whole part which seems very irrelevant where he tells actors how to act, not to overdo it, not to underdo it. And He's very specific with how to act. Like, you yes. think he was a theatre director. He gives him a lot of instruction. And these are the Ham- experts. Hamlet says to Horatio at one point, wow, if fate had been different, I, I would have been an excellent actor, don't you think so? And Horatio agrees. It's basically, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, they're all, all Shakespeare plays uh, some less, some more have references to plays, and this one is particularly rich in that imagery. Did you notice any parallels with? I mean, I thought I want to say two things about the play overall. I want yeah. to say one that it is a masterpiece, and it's yeah. essentially a kind of. It contains a lot of elements. You know, it's in some ways it's similar to Shakespeare's historical plays. Um, it, mm. It's essentially a fictional version of his historical plays. But then yeah. you've got the Romeo and Juliet type things, the, the tragic comedy type things. You've got mm-hmm. uh, a lot of tragedy really near the end. There is a love story. In, in a way, it's almost like an archetype template for the Shakespeare play. Like it has everything. Yeah. It is totally like this right. overarching, like if you read this play, then you can see mm. all the elements that you're going to get in all the other Shakespeare plays. But it's also very Greek. I think in, yeah. in many ways I find similarities with greek plays and just the whole story about gertrude and claudius i think that's very similar ah. to agamemnon and uh, clytemnestra because mm. she basically goes off with with someone else and then he's trying to you know in his, he's trying to uh, kill her or whatever so it's a very a very similar kind of um vibe i just kept thinking of clytemnestra as i was reading the scenes with the king and queen mm. um so it's it yeah it's, ah. it's it's a big archetype shakespeare play but i i find it especially with the way the tragedy progresses and the big scene at the end. I mean, yeah. I think it's very Greek. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And don't forget that Shakespeare wasn't an academic uh, playwright, like, like for example, mm-hmm. uh, Marlowe. So he basically had a Latin uh, kind of based education, which was normal at the time, guys. This was basically, if you had a tiny bit of money, you send your kid to a normal kind of school. And it's basically based on, on Latin grammar and some of these latin uh, greek stories so he grew up with those stories yeah in mind but like not too academic he's not really uh that academic uh, shakespeare he might seem very difficult for us now in hindsight but it's just because we don't have that education anymore actually for anyone living in england it wouldn't have been so kind of hard to grasp i mean these are plays for groundlings as well the people you know look um at the front of the stage who just who just had a very basic backgrounds a lower class i suppose you call it but basically it's not he doesn't try to be too uh academic and yeah and it's basically what i'm saying is that he's influenced by these greek plays Mm -hmm. but 
maybe not too specific. So he's kind of like basing it more or less on what he heard, what he read in his kind of free time, more than like in an academic setting or like childhood memory. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I just quick, done a quick Google search to get the details I was trying to make the comparison for. Yeah. So effectively, Clytemnestra kills her you, with her lover, with her lover, um, Aegisthus, kills her mm-hmm. husband, Agamemnon, so he can then take over kind of rulership, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they also form a plot then against Agamemnon's son, the, the new kind of stepson, Orestes. So it's, it is a very similar... Um, it's a very similar parallel in that story. Oh, totally. And also, don't forget that now that we mentioned Greek plays, it's got an Oedipus uh, kind of theme in it, guys. So it's by Oedipus. The Oedipus theory is by Freud, which is that a young boy is in love with his mom and wants to kill the father because the young boy wants to be with the mother. And there's a whole erotic implication. I mean, it's not very valid nowadays, you know, uh, Jung uh, refuted that theory. But the whole thing is that Gertrude, the mother, and uh, Hamlet, uh, they meet at the, at Gertrude's closet. You know, so it's got a very intimate setting in the end of Act 3 because um, she wants to talk with him about... Actually, Gertrude the whole time uh, wants to talk with her son. It was interesting. Like, almost everything... Like, it seems like half of what she said is like, I would like to talk with you, but they never get to a real conversation. And at the end of Act Three, um, basically, he, Hamlet is trying to express himself, and this is very interesting. He, like he seems to be very good with words, but you get the feeling that he didn't express himself. He actually never expresses himself fully. No, yeah, he just, he can, ne- he he just can never ex- gets. He can express himself in overly poetic monologue, but not in any yes. kind of conversation with anyone. And this is the Oedipus complex, basically, that some people think that he Hamlet might be in love with his own mom. Now, I don't really think that, actually, but this is just an interesting, mm. but it might be a, a subtle version of um, the Oedipus mm. complex, that he that he is in love with his mom, but not in an erotic way, and that he is very jealous of the father, in this case, the father's substitute. So it's very similar to the Oedipus um, theory, mm. but not really, it's not really similar. It's to not strong, story. I don't think, yeah. No, it's not, but it's just a thing to mention there. And also that he just, <laughs> Hamlet, especially when he's pretending to be mad, says a lot of, um, he says a lot of erotic things to his own mom and to Ophelia. So there's a lot of reference there. Very vague, actually. He's always sugarcoating it. But there, there, there are one or two things he says to Ophelia that indicates that, oh, Ophelia is basically a girl that's easy to get, for example. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to talk about Hamlet and Ophelia because they are in love at the beginning of the play, as you said earlier. And okay. then Hamlet seems to go off her. And I think yeah. the reason is because, I mean, my, my interpretation was basically because of what his mum, what he then finds out his mum did to his dad. Mm. He, he kind of loses trust in women almost to an extent. Yes, and, he mentioned several times, yeah. Yeah, and he doesn't then want, you know, Ophelia. And he keeps telling her, get thee to a nunnery, you know. Mm. it's better for you to just go in and be in a nunnery than to continue with this kind of, with this normal life, essentially. Totally right. Yeah. And Ophelia is devastated. And yes. So just before that though, we have to mention, so while Hamlet, actually, no, I can't say this because it's, it's a plot, it's twist, but basically someone gets killed at the end of act three, just the same. Oh, what a coincidence at the end uh, in Romeo and Juliet at the end of act three, 
Tybalt gets mm. killed. Well, do you think There's... we can? Do we need to give to, to hide that, or can we give that one away? Because there's a lot more uh, that happens can. after that. We can give it away. Just just close your ears for two seconds, and then be back, guys. <laughs> I'm saying it now. Close your ears for two seconds, and then be back. Polonius will be killed. The father of Ophelia. Tragedy. Tragedy. Just yes. like uh, Tybalt was a cousin of Juliet. So they both these women uh, have the same dilemmas. They're both in love, Ophelia I, and Juliet. <laughs> What's your take on Polonius? All right, so Polonius basically, well, just like Tybalt, he's a troublemaker. Uh, in a more comic sense, Polonius, but he's, he's asking for trouble. And Hamlet says to Polonius before he gets killed, how now? A rat? Dead for a ducat. Dead. Yes, Polonius is a kind of a ratty figure. He's always interfering, always changing. Oh, he's, he's, he's trying to... He's trying to interfere in Hamlet's life, and he's shaping Hamlet's destiny. And that's uh, yeah. that's kind of like a big taboo with Hamlet. Destiny has kind of a trigger point with him. I mean, know, I guess so. his interfering leads to his death. He is he's a schemer. I suppose every Shakespeare tragedy needs a mm. schemer somewhere. But and, did you not notice that he's also a good father? Yes, he is a good father. Right? He does. He does mean the best for. Um, he does, and that the Judah. first thing that struck me about him is. You know, he's he's he doesn't he's his traditional good father. I mean, not quite so modern in the sense, you know, he doesn't want um he wants to protect his daughter from this young man that wants yeah. to hit her. You know, there's that there's that going on. But then with Laertes at the beginning of the play, you know, with his son, he gives him some good advice to like always kind of be a good gentleman, basically, and to kind of mm. do the right thing. So yeah, so there is the brother of Ophelia. Well, yes, although he does have like a sexist kind of idea of like I possess my daughter just like this is seen so many times in Shakespeare's plays the father is trying to possess the daughter and but not having control and trying to regain the control we've done this with every single play I think so far except um comedy of errors we've mentioned in every single play that there are father figures kings and actual biological fathers who lose control of their subjects and and there's the same here King Claudius loses control yeah and he says that King, Cla- King, uh, King Claudius. King Claudius says it when he's talking to himself. He has a lot of doubt and he's trying to control. Um, mm-hmm. He's trying to regain control. It's old man trying to regain control on the woman. Uh, but Polonius might be the most innocent version, although there's a bit of that as well. And yeah, it seems uh, unfortunate that he has to die. But it is unfortunate because Hamlet does not realize that Polonius. He just he just kind of goes on a whim, like he just all of a sudden there's someone behind the tapestry. And like, who, who's this? And he kills this person. But it's a, it, it's a lot less excusable, I find, than with Tybalt in Roman Juliet, who was really kind of like, he was going to basically kill people. So Romeo uh, killed him. Or basically, yeah, killed, it, it is less her. excusable. It's, it's almost totally unnecessary. <laughs> yes, it, it is. Yeah. I mean, because Tybalt killed Mercutio. And so Romeo killed. Uh, Tybalt, not an excuse, guys. Hey, don't, please don't, 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 don't do this as an example. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot less excusable. And this is the end of Act Three, guys. So Act Three is always basically the end of Act Three is that the hero fails and that he has to leave. So it's not always the case, but it often is the case with Shakespeare's plays. And thus, as we mentioned, Act Four is about mainly the second protagonist. We usually the one protagonist. In this case, Ophelia is has become mad herself. So madness, mental illness, and the way she that it's perceived. By There's also grief. If you can see it maybe as grief rather than madness, how about they're both sane, but they're both grieving? This is also basically critique on, on how people 
cannot deal with other people's grief and excuse it as a mental illness. So there's this whole Although, kind of like... PJ, uh, part of... Sorry, well, continue there. I cut you off. So continue what you were saying first. No, that's it. Please, go yeah. ahead. Because Ophelia's mental illness is, um, mm. <laughs> is manifested by essentially singing uh, sexist tavern songs. <laughs> she essentially yes. becomes... Uh, Comes a, a lower class, you know, drinking man at a, at a pub and uh, starts singing. So I'm, I'm, there's two here. Um, <laughs> tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day, all in the morning be- bedtime. And I am a maid at your window to be your Valentine. Then he, then up he rose and donned his clothes and up the chamber door, let in the maid that out a maid never departed more. And then we also have another. By gaze and by sincerity, a lack and fie for shame. Young men will do it if they come to it. By cock they are to blame. Quoth she, before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed. And he answers, mm. so would I have done by yonder son, and I had not come to my bed. So I would have married you to get sex if you hadn't, but you give it up too easily, you know. Mm. And that was, and, and that's a lot of her little songs. They're very, they're very like, you know, it, it's strange that her madness is, is formed in, the, in in these little rhymes that you would see a bunch of you know, sexist mm. singing in a tavern. <laughs> uh, I think it's, oh, but I think it, there's madness to this method because, because listen to this, a Hamlet references, I think, I think um, in Hamlet, my theory is, what do you think, Dean? I think Ophelia and Hamlet actually, you know, they had sex basically before they were married because they're obviously not married. And I don't think it's like that in Roman Juliet, actually. There's a lot of theory about that, but I don't think in Roman Juliet. I don't think they, so in Romeo, had, no. But I think in Hamlet, it's indicated that they might have something. And because Hamlet mentioned it several times, uh, very vaguely, to kind of intimidate, kind of like make her feel bad. And now it's kind of like the guilt is consuming her and she feels like she's being used. And she also feels like she's lost her virginity. But, but then maybe it never happened. Maybe it just never happened. Maybe she's just, it's all in her head. Maybe she is actually mad. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Um, to be honest, it's not something I'd really thought about. I just assumed that they hadn't slept together just because that was more the culture at the time. Um, <laughs> okay. There is that strong love and it is different from a Romeo and Juliet type love. Yeah. So you, you might be very right. You might be very right. Um, it's, it's possible that they did and that, that would explain. Because she does really feel jilted when he, when he changes his mind during the... Uh, the yeah. post-murder when he finds out what happened to his dad and he changes his mind about her and i mean they, they repair that towards the end but um you know she totally. does feel very very hurt and jilted so it's it's very possible and guys um just just like in roman juliet ophelia ophelia dies she uh ophelia dies shall we talk a little bit about the end of the play without giving spoilers? yes yes what, so what can we say uh well we can say guys um that laertes comes back to seek vengeance on his father's death and then Ophelia's madness. And a beautiful quote also by the artist. I really like the character. Uh, but basically, guys, this is also very important that we mentioned Fort Fortinbras, who is the prince of Norway, so away from Denmark. This is set in Denmark, but he's in Denmark. And he's seeking revenge on his dad's death. And now his uncle is in power, so he seeks revenge. And he's coming to Denmark, and he's coming to Poland, and he's going to be the new king. And the artist does the same thing. He's going to seek revenge because he knows that someone killed his father and his sister has become mad and they are going, they're taking action. And this is what, and Hamlet is in the same situation and he doesn't take action. Hence he is a tragic figure. Uh, basically, so you got three and it's a triangle, basically you got Fortinbras and Laertes and 
Hamlet. And Hamlet just doesn't take action. And especially Fortinbras. Fortinbras is basically the alter ego, not the alter ego, he's basically like the mirror image mm. of Hamlet, of what Hamlet should be. Yeah. And then this is what Fortinbras is doing. But Hamlet, Hamlet fails to take it. action, except, as you mentioned, he kills Polonius. But that, that wasn't him taking decisive action. That was him throwing mm. a kind of teen tantrum and stabbing the nearest thing, not even knowing who it was. You know, exactly, that, that, yeah. that, that wasn't him uh, really taking action. That was uh, more of a temper tantrum, if anything. Well, uh, well, I think I think we can we should leave the end. Maybe we'll write the ending. But um, basically, uh, read guys to see what happens in scene five, and you can decide if he takes action or not. Mm. But there's I also the idea of yeah, we have to say something. I don't want to give any details, but basically, yeah. it turns into an action movie, and it the, the, the you know it just goes yeah. wild. It just goes wild. The bodies yeah, stack nice. up everywhere. <laughs> oh, definitely, and and the same is like it's like Macbeth. It becomes very bloody all of a sudden. And um, yeah, I really like the ending and what he does. And but there's still the element of not just the tragedy of decision, but how about the tragedy of deciding too late and already a lot of people are killed yeah. because that's what basically happened without giving too much. I mean, but... Fortinbras arrives. It's almost a comical scene that he arrives kind of to conquer and there's just no one there to conquer. Like, <laughs> Totally, <laughs> they've right? Done, they've done his job for him, you know? <laughs> you just imagine like a Quentin Tarantino movie or, yeah. or a Takashi Mika movie, like this kind of very bloody seeing at the end everyone's already everyone's already gone you know and just horatio is there to tell the story and he was going to he said i'm more roman than danish i'm going to die mm-hmm. for you and then and no no you have to live to tell a story that's a parallel to romeo and juliet i think after the um the kind of scene with romeo and totally. juliet in the tomb there's the one guy left to tell to tell the story the witness you know yes and fortinbras is like the prince isn't he at the end and fortinbras says the end of the play is Fortinbras talking, and the end of Roman Julius play is the yes. Prince talking. I believe. Um, so yes, uh, my God, it's just like he just basically took Roman Julius, which was supposed to have been written a bit earlier, and just like, all oh, right, so I'm just going to use the same format, just change the character setting. I, and, yeah, uh, I think I think he just took a lot of elements of all his different genres and just yeah, put the best of everything in. And this is yeah. this is a middle play. It's it's kind of right smack bang in the middle of his works, and it yeah. just it just epitomizes everything you know that he's totally, done. I think totally. Yeah. Well, guys, I think this about wraps it up. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great play. Uh, read it, watch it, look out for these details. So much to it. It's awesome, yeah. I love it. I'm going to go now watch, uh, well, not now, but tomorrow. We're going to watch Ophelia on Netflix to see it's, uh, it's a film that is this play oh. from Ophelia's perspective. So that'll be interesting. Wow, okay. And I actually mean to read a play called Fortinbras by oh. Lee, uh, Lee Blessing, written in the 90s. So there's a lot of kind of other um, stuff written around it. It's always mm-hmm. kind of interesting what other people think. Well, cool. guys, go to booksboys.com. Check out all the things there. Thank you for being a patron. And of course, um, this has been the books, the Playboys. Have a Shakespearean day. PJ, do we know what next month's play is going to be? We haven't decided mm-hmm. yet, have we? We haven't decided yet, but I can tell you it's going to be dramatic. It's going to be spectacular. So keep it up, guys. Well, there go my um, suggestions then. <laughs> there goes your suggestions. Well, I, I thought, I, well, should we mention it? Yeah, I thought we had one already. Should we, should we mention it? Okay, it's, do we have uh, one? I didn't know we did. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I thought we're, it's, going to be, it's going to be full thunder, and which is, which is ah, kind of hissing. Okay. And there's going to be blood everywhere and blood. You can't get off your fingers and you're trying to rub it out. Trying, you're trying to rub it off and it just it doesn't matter how much very liquid you use you just can't get rid of it well there we go we can do we can do that one there so that's going to be guys next month my bath the scottish play right don't don't the say scottish. my bath don't say my bath the, the, the spectacular 
The one so, and only. The dramatic. You trumped me. I was going to suggest that we do a completely irrelevant one, like the Merry Wives of Windsor or some garbage. But no, you you trumped me by bringing <laughs> forth a, a decent play. So yeah, we, we'll do we, my we best. Can do, we can do another <laughs> one. We can do another one of your choice later then. No, I think I think my best definitely the, the right way to go on that. It's, got, Guys, it's gotta be, it's gotta be. Have a Shakespearean day. Indeed. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>